Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and I am your host, Rob Watson. Today we have a fantastic show lined up for you, as always, but uh, this one has a, a special, wonderful Latin flair. Uh, we are entertaining our special guest, Gio Bravo, and Gio is the first trans artist to break barriers in the regional Mexican music genre. Uh, Gio has uh, actually transitioned within the musical genre recently uh, where uh, he has gone from just regional Mexican music to urban Latin um, and has released a brand new track. We are going to play that track for you. It is called Esta Noche, and I dare you not to want to get up and dance as you listen to it. Um, it's fantastic, as is he. Um, we're going to hear his story and uh, uh, the adventures of his life, um, and uh, excited to do that. Um, before that, though, we're going to get some news on what's happening in the LGBT front from my uh, co-host and the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine, Brody Lebeck. So let's welcome Brody to the show. Brody, how are you doing today? Hey, Rob. I am doing well, um, and thank you to all of our guests who listen to us from all over the globe. We really, really, really appreciate um, you liking our podcast, sharing them, downloading them. It's it's really cool. Well, you know, it's it's one of those things where in the news cycle, as often is the case, uh, things are related. Last night, Facebook uh, – suspended um, a really ugly anti-LGBTQ extremist page called the Libs of TikTok. Now, this is the same Libs of TikTok on Twitter, the one that was literally on TikTok, which is where it got its name. Uh, Libs of TikTok is owned and operated by a Brooklyn real estate agent and fanatical adherent of far-right extremist ideology, Chaya Lachek, and she has literally wreaked havoc with her lives of uh, TikTok attacking LGBTQ people, although she's had focused a lot of her emphasis on spreading lies and propaganda about uh, transgender Americans. Um, Recently, and what touched us off was she led a series of Twitter uh, attacks uh, and on her Facebook platform against Boston Children's Hospital. And essentially what she did was she accused the hospital uh, of uh, doing gender-affirming surgery on minor children, principally uh, hysterectomies, and also, uh, you know, double breast uh, removals, um, all of which the hospital does not do. Um, however, uh, you know, lying and propaganda is well suited uh, to Miss Raycheck, 
the result, however, of her campaign was that Boston Children was deluged, and I mean deluged, under a tidal wave, a, a virtual tsunami of hate, and that included threats, including death threats against clinician staff and the doctors. It got so bad that the Boston police and the Commonwealth of Massachusetts Department of State Police had to augment hospital security with officers. Now, the Boston Police Department has also launched a separate investigation. Late last night, the Department of Justice, to the offices of the United States Attorney for the District of Massachusetts, Rachel Rawlings, announced that they also uh, will be launching an investigation. The U.S. Attorney says this, Today's news about the alleged threats directed at Boston Children's transgender health program is disturbing, to say the least. Children deserve an opportunity to thrive and grow as their authentic selves. Parents, guardians, and health care providers who support them in that journey should be allowed to do so free of threats and harassment. I want to make it clear that the Department of Justice will ensure equal protection of transgender people under the law. And then she called for an investigation. Now, Facebook has so far uh, done little more than just suspend the account, uh, which Libs of TikTok tweeted about. We don't know if that's a permanent ban yet. Um, unfortunately, Twitter has not done anything about this woman. Um, to give you an idea of how evil she is, um, and I, I made this comment um, in the spring, earlier in the spring, uh, the press secretary, now former uh, press secretary for Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, Christina Pushaw, had been pushing uh, a narrative uh, that was done in a profile piece by Slate Magazine's journalist Ben Mathis Lilly. And he detailed how Pushaw was able to launch a national narrative of LGBTQ people as groomers, which then in turn created a swollen vortex of pedophilia chatter using Raychek's web of TikTok posts and embracing it. Uh, you know, Raychek's influence and attacks within our community and the LGBT community in general is is a resemblance to the character of the Wicked Witch of the West in the 1939 classic MGM film, The Wizard of Oz. If you remember, the witch would dispatch her flying monkeys to do her evil bidding, save that in the case of Raychek, it quite literally is the white Christian nationalist neo-Nazi extremist group, the Proud Boys. Raychek has put out a tweet or a Facebook post about an LGBTQ event, such as Drag Queen, uh, Drag Queen Story Hours which, in local libraries, which is one of her favorite targets. And invariably within you know, hours of the tweet or on the day of the event, the Proud Boys would show up and disrupt the event, in many cases with you know threats of violence, uh, death threats, you name it. It's got so bad that she targeted, uh, in my home province of Ontario, a little small LGBTQ center in, uh, uh, in a small town in Ontario. We're not talking a big city, Rob. And they were going to have a drag uh, queen event, and they were going to do it in uh, a local place. And Raychek and her, you know, 
Libs of Tech Talk went after them, and some of the Proud Boys um, went after them in a huge way. It was ugly. It got so bad that the RCMP, that's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police to you Americans, that's our national police force, uh, roughly akin to you guys' FBI, got involved. Um, of course, I will note most people, including the RCMP people that I talked to, noted that it's entirely possible that the morons in the neo-Nazi movement didn't realize that that center in North Bay was in North Bay, Ontario, Canada. But it still goes to show you the influence that this woman's got. Um, And, you know, when she does something and and she starts the attack, uh, and and like I said, her special hatred is reserved for uh, our trans brothers and siblings. And she goes after them, and then these flying monkeys of hers get involved, and chaos follows. Um, I do not know, and I've, I've reached out to the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, in Boston to see if she's willing to comment as to whether or not, you know, how much targeting is going to be done against Ray Check and Lib's TikTok. Uh, I can tell you, though, that Facebook hasn't responded, Twitter hasn't responded, but there are people who are looking at this saying, you know, this has got to stop. Raychek is directly responsible for the revival of the groomer movement. Um, And for our younger listeners, groomer was a really, really bad slur used against back then primarily uh, gay men and lesbians, implying that, um, you know, we were out to uh, basically sexually molest uh, children because we were all pedophiles and we were critting and the only way to do it was to groom them, uh, which is what a sexual offender, true sexual uh, rapist actually does. Uh, and that was a term. It still means that, but it just yeah. it's not a term that's had common vernacular for quite a few years. Uh, and now suddenly Raychek has managed to revive it uh, with assistance from, you know, Pusha uh, in Florida. So Right, you know, Brody, it, how a, how big, yeah, Brody? Yeah, how big is her following? Because I mean, she's horrible, and obviously the Proud Boys are scary. Um, but is it, is she in these calls to action and um, rabble rousing? Is she speaking to just a small pocket of very activist and threatening um, mobs? Or is there a big following there? I mean, it's to me the, huge following. It's the yeah, it's that it's that huge following that is the scariest yeah. part. Um, and well, that's what, the, what that, are, you know, when you look at the fact on Twitter alone that she's got over 1.4 million followers. That's just her Twitter account. Okay, that is not an insignificant number. Okay, and the people that follow her are also mainstream Republican politicians and conservatives. So it's not just the radicalized, it's not just the supremacist groups, it's not just the scary folks. She's got people that follow her that are rank and file in the Republican Party that have influence, which includes, you know, Pushaw and the governor of the state of Florida. So it's not just her flying monkeys that people should be really concerned about. It's the fact that she's directly influencing Okay, in a big way, Republican Party politics, and that has a direct impact on our rights. Yeah, is 
are the advocacy groups, the LGBTQ advocacy groups, are they targeting her audience at all with education, with anything kind of outreach that, um, you know, I know they have their hands full because there's enough legislation to fight, and that's where a lot of the energy is going to just fight specific um, initiatives like those. But it seems to me that there needs to be a whole public outreach um, to educate people. I mean, this is based on incredible ignorance. It's incredibly harmful. Um, we've seen the results of what that does to the psyche of young people, and there's, it's very difficult to shield them from that when they see public stories and public you know, uh, soapbox standings by her followers who are politicians, et cetera. Um, what, what is being done to counter that? Well, in terms of direct counter, um, obviously, uh, those of us in the press, uh, including mainstream media, uh, my colleagues, for example, at NBC Out and also uh, the other publications are going after directly to essentially disembowel her lying on propaganda. Um, should the suspension of Facebook be permanent, that'll help. It'll help even more if Twitter does it. Now, in order to be able to I'd say better influence that. Media Matters for America's LGBTQ uh, project, uh, folks from the American Civil Liberties Union Gay and Lesbian Project, the Human Rights Campaign, the National Task Force, Equality California, Equality Florida, Equality Texas, uh, and other groups are directly targeting her messaging. Um, and they're doing it in two ways, alerting, you know, alerting the public to the lies and the falsehoods and the danger, uh, and then also following up uh, with a push to progressive lawmakers. Uh, you know, it's problematic because she does have First Amendment protection. And this is where it, it really becomes splitting hairs. However, there are those, including myself, who argue that if Twitter is able to ban the account of a sitting president of the United States for spreading lies, propaganda, fomenting and inciting essentially civil unrest, shutting this woman down should be a non-brainer, just a non-brainer. Right. Well, yeah, I, I, I hope I hope she does get shut down, but um, I think we also have to look and realize she's merely a symptom of the problem. Um, you know, it's, it is the mob and it's the million point four people behind her that are the real problem. Um, you know, it's, you know, she's speaking to a willing audience and we've got to educate. We've got to tap them down. Um, they're the danger, um, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Brody, <laughs> for your affirmation there. Uh, any other, any other, I'm any other, sorry. <laughs> I, I I love leaving you speechless. Um, so, any other news stories going on today? Prosecutors in Utah uh, levied uh, hate crime charges uh, against a group of a polygamous LDS cult called the Kingsman Family, who had attacked a gay couple in Sandy, which is a suburb of uh, Salt Lake. Uh, they are charging them with hate crime enhancements. 
so we'll have to see how that one plays out. Uh, the White House today announced that it's shipping another 1.8 million doses of monkeypox to make it available as the monkeypox numbers, of course, uh, have been increasing here in Los Angeles. Yesterday, the account of uh, caseload count was about roughly 900. Um, the White House uh, task force uh, has been defending its approach to dealing with it, especially with the uh, vaccine administration. However, there are issues with that. The sole pharmaceutical house that manufactures the vaccine has been cautioning the FDA that there are emergency authorization last week to essentially get five doses out of a one-dose bottle is an untried, untested, and unknown uh, quantitative factor, and they're not recommending it. However, CDC and FDA signed off on it, and that's what they're doing. Uh, Bob Benton, who is the White House monkeypox uh, response coordinator, um, responded to my colleague Chris Johnson at the D.C. Blade, um, and basically his comment from, you know, the contradictory information out there was, and he quote, and this is a quote from Chris's report, anytime you have change, you're going to have the need to update and educate the community on these changes. However, uh, there are people in the healthcare community that they don't even agree with that. So it remains to be seen. Um, the biggest problem with the outbreak, quite frankly, is that it is, you know, rapidly spreading. And now that we know that the transmission, in addition to its other forms of transmission, uh, is from close sexual um, contact, um, you know, there, there's even more of a push to do what we call pod and pause and to at least, if nothing else, uh, get folks to be more aware of it. However, there's been some problems in communicating, uh, you know, the effect to it. And, again, there are a lot of people uh, quite frankly, that I've spoken to are poo-pooing it because it seems to be limited to the community of people, men who have sex with men, uh, transgender uh, males and transgender females. So that that's also been a consideration. So we'll have to wait and see. The White House announced that it's going to throw another 1.8 million doses uh, and make it available to um, states starting uh, on Monday. So we've got that going on. Um, the only other thing that I think is of note that I'd like to mention, and that's the, the U.S. Appellate Court for the 4th District in Virginia ruled in a case that trans people do have legal protections under the Americans with Disability Act. This is a significant ruling. Uh, it overturns two lower court rulings, although we do expect it to be challenged uh, at SCOTUS, actually based on a couple of other rulings that we've seen come out of SCOTUS we probably won't even see them take it up. So that ruling hopefully will stand. Um, and outside of that, uh, yeah, for your news and information and things that are happening in the world, I would implore you to go to losangelesblade.com. That's losangelesblade.com. And uh, you can read our coverage and everything that's going on uh, in your community as well. Thanks so much, Brody. And I echo that call. Um, if you want really fine, original um, LGBTQ no news reporting, um, uh, LosAngelesBlade.com is your place to go. Um, one of the best on the market today and um, growing rapidly. So um, take, take advantage of that. Okay, so I want to 
switch gears and hopefully to a happier note. Um, and you can uh, bank on that that we are talking about musical notes. Um, I do want to rec- welcome uh, Gio Bravo to the program. Gio, welcome. Thank you so much. How are you guys? Great. Um, you and I actually uh, have tromped some similar ground. Uh, I believe you grew up in Long Beach, and I spent a long time in Long Beach. So I did. Well, I was actually born there. <laughs> it's a great place to be born. Um, take us back there to when, when you were young and uh, uh, becoming aware of who you were. What was the struggle um, in your family understanding yourself and um, your internal feelings? Uh, yeah, you know, I was born in Long Beach. Um, I actually went to Abraham Lincoln Elementary School. And, um, you know, when I was there, I I had a really great teacher, um, Mrs. Mrs. Moss. She was, um, she was really, really sweet lady. And, um, I think that she could see that I was different. Um, I do remember that, you know, I was always that that kid, you know, back then, um, you know, I identified um, as a girl. So I was a lot different than the other little girls. I, I definitely liked to play, you know, soccer. I would run around with the boys. I remember that, you know, back then using uniforms was like a really big deal. So my mom, during that time, you know, she would buy me like, the dress uniforms or the skirt uniforms, but she'd always have to like put shorts under because I always wanted to play with the boys and it was like, you know, for like appropriate reasons or whatever, she had to make sure I was wearing like shorts under and, you know, I clearly remember like she would do braids in my hair and I hated it. Like I, I hated all like girly related things. And, um, you know, but I, I didn't have like any LGBT people growing up in my family, um, or like our inner circle of friends. So even though like I kind of had the vibe that I was different, I really like didn't know what it was called. I didn't know what that was. I didn't, I couldn't even pinpoint what about it made me different to be honest with you. Because it was just like an unknown world to me. So, um, you know, I remember that I was like in kindergarten and I kissed a girl for the first time. And um, she was my mom's friend, my mom's friend's daughter. And um, it was like the strangest thing because, you know, my family, they talked about it, but it was kind of like a joke, like, haha. But like, I didn't think it was unnormal. I just, I kissed a girl. So what, you know, like, it wasn't until I really like hit middle school that is kind of when I started feeling like, oh, like I am different because I had a bunch of friends and the girls who are my friends, um, you know, I would kind of feel like I had a crush on them and it would make me feel kind of like, um, not, not awkward, but like just kind of like different because I, I, I was crushing on them. And so when they would tell me about like the boys that they were crushing on or that they liked, it would kind of like make me feel some type of way, <laughs> you know, cause right. it was kind of like, I, I don't think I should be feeling this. Like, these are my friends. I kind of feel like I'm like violating, like, that friendship because they don't know that I have a crush, but like, why am I feeling this way when all the other, all the, when all the other girls are having like crushes on the boys, you know? So, right. Um, and, it, yeah, was really, and it was really, it was really encouraged. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, in, in conjunction with what I was talking with uh, with Brody and, and a lot of the persecution that's going on and a lot of the visibility of um, transgender people, if you had at that age, and this is a hypothetical that, of course, you probably don't fully know the answer to because it didn't happen, but had there been more visibility, had you seen people whose lives were on on a journey of, of being transgender at that age, would you have recognized it? Would that have made an impact on you and made things better? You know, I can't say for certain, as you mentioned, because, you know, it's like a hypothetical, but I do want to say that I think it would have made a difference because it took me such a long time to really figure out who or like what I was, you know what I mean? Um, the fact that, you know, like when I look or when people would ask me like, you know, do you have a boyfriend? Um, you know, do you ever want to get married? And I would feel like, yeah, of course I want to get married. But like, I never envisioned myself as a bride. I never envisioned myself, right. you know, as like a female role in a relationship, but that made me like question myself and like question my sanity question. Like, like what the hell is wrong with me? Because you know, like, it's not possible to for me to be feeling so strongly like I don't want to be this person. Like, this is not normal. So had there been some kind of visibility during that time frame, like, definitely it would have really helped me, like, like allocate those feelings and really just be like, you know what, I'm not the only person that's going through this. Other people have realized that they are also unhappy with, you know, whatever life they were uh, born into, per se, um, and it would have helped me have a little bit more direction, you know, as far as like how to be me, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Oh yeah. No, totally. Uh, because it's, uh, your, your path led to coming out as lesbian and then later coming out as trans. And that's not uncommon. Um, I have personal acquaintances that went through, not acquaintances, friends, who went through similar transitions. Um, uh, Chaz Bono publicly um, went through a similar path like that. And I think part of it, and, and you would know better than I would, but it seems like as some of that was time frame specific because at the time people weren't seeing people publicly um, transitioning in that way and knowing that that might really be them and not just simply that they had, you know, a lesbian orientation. Um, what, what are your thoughts on your, your path on, in terms of that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like in 2011 is when I can like specifically pinpoint where my like gender identity went very like male oriented. Um, you know, I used to have really long curly hair down to like my waist and I cut it off. Um, I remember very clearly that I got like this faux hawk haircut and, um, it's kind of when I started embracing like more like the masculine side of me. But even during that year, like I had no idea what, um, you know, I, I had no like, um, knowledge of what like hormone replacement therapy was or, you know, to what extent a person could transition to, like, become, you know, a whole different person or the person they, they always envisioned that they could be. 
So, um, yeah, so definitely, like, if that would have existed in that time, I feel like I would have definitely transitioned um, a lot sooner than I did. Um, but at the same time, you know, I feel like timing is everything, um, at least, you know, in my journey. Um, you know, I feel that when I started transitioning, it was the right time for me and, and everything I had lived up to or I had lived through up to that moment um, kind of really helped build that backbone that is truly needed to do something like transitioning because, you know, when you transition, it's not just like you, it's your family, it's your friends, and, you know, um, they're they're going through this transition with you. So you definitely have to have, like, a lot of backbone to really, like, be able to manage, like, a lot of the backlash that comes with, with transitioning. So, um yeah, that's kind of like my thoughts on that. Yeah, no, and I hear you on that because especially as an artist, it's it's like you we you have to embrace what made you you because it comes out in your art and your art is very unique and very special and it's because you are incorporating both your pains and joys um into into that expression. Um early on, you had some really hard things to deal with, with um, your parents' divorce and a death of a friend. Um, can you talk a little bit to that? Yeah, definitely. So um, so this this year and in this month, um, oddly enough, um, it actually marks the 10-year anniversary of uh, my parents' divorce, and it also marks the 10-year anniversary of the um, – death anniversary of one of my really good friends from high school. Um, she actually committed suicide, and it was, like, a really hard time. Um, I know that, you know, it was, strangely enough, you know, my friend passed away, like, you know, on August 23rd, and um, I remember that, like, two days later, my parents announced that they were getting, like, separated. So it was kind of, like, at that moment, I really felt like the world was, like, falling apart, um, like, right before my eyes. And it was, like, those things that, like, you can't really control them, you know. You, as much as you love somebody, you can't bring them back from the dead. And, um, you know, as much as you love your family, um, you know, as a child, you are not, you don't have the power to. And even if you did, you know, you're not responsible for keeping a marriage together. And right. and that's something that I, I didn't understand, Um 10 years ago, you know, so it was really, really hard for me. Um, I think that even, like, when I started um, my journey of really exploring my sexuality and who I was, like, I always found, like, some kind of, like, solace in my music, so um, that was always, like, my salvation for everything. Like, anything that I was going through, it would always be, like, right, right music, right songs, but, you know, I never, I never really thought of the possibility of, of being an artist just because, you know, when I wrote music, again, there was, like, no trans visibility out there. So I always felt like I didn't want to be, like, a female artist singing songs directed at men, which is kind of, like, the standard for Mexican music. It's, like, you know, when you're a guy, you sing, like, heartbreak or romantic songs for women and vice versa, the women to the men. So I didn't want to be that artist. All my songs that I wrote, they were always, like, in the perspective of a man singing them to a woman. So for me, at that moment, it was just more like an escape, um, get it off my mind, 
pour my heart out, like let the paper and pen, like take up everything that I needed to say um, during that time. So when my parents split up, I had a lot to say and I had a lot to feel because, yeah, you know, and and being the oldest sibling of four, I have three younger sisters. So being the oldest is just like really hard because, you know, I, I was my mom's rock. I was my sister's rock. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, I didn't have my own rock. Like, my music was my rock, you know. So I definitely had a lot to say, and, and I really jotted it down when when it came to it. <laughs> and how did, how did you – what was the change in your music as a result of that, do you feel? Um, you know, so I didn't actually start doing music officially, like, until I started transitioning. So when I began – my hormone replacement therapy, um, you know, I started realizing, like, these changes in my voice, in my face, and it was something something about seeing myself, becoming the person that I always wished I could have been. Um, it just triggered something in me. You know, when I was a kid, I remember being five, six years old. People would always tell me, like, you are, like, the spitting image of your dad. You know, like, the only thing you needed was, like, to be a boy um, in all, you know, parts so that you would be, like, your dad's me-me-me. And I remember that, like, I would feel so flattered when people would tell me that because I liked the idea of looking like a boy and looking like my dad. So when I started seeing these changes in the mirror after beginning my, my hormone replacement therapy, it just, like, triggered something in me. Like, it gave me this confidence that, like, went through the roof. And I just told myself, like, I'm going to do music. And then I kind of, like, laughed about it. And I was like, really? Like, should I really do music? And then um, I remember that I went to, like, a friend of mine who was who's a producer. And I was like, hey, like, I'm thinking about doing music. He's like, man, you should. Like, you do sing good. And you do have really good songs. Like, you should try it. And, um, and that's kind of where I said, uh, let's do right. it, you know? So I, I got in the studio and started recording some stuff, and that's kind of where it all began. Is it is it fair to say that if you hadn't transitioned, that part of what you wouldn't have transitioned into is a recording artist? That you wouldn't actually Most be definitely. that if, if you hadn't? That's, I, I mean, yeah. I think that that's really poignant. I mean, it's, you know, we obviously look at uh, – folks journey which by the way i consider trans people the bravest on earth to to do what you've done is is you know you're a leader in for us all in terms of the the venture for each one of us to be our own true authentic self so you know just just kudos on that alone but i think that your story has that added beauty in that you are giving the world a recording artist that would not have existed if you hadn't taken your journey. And that's, um, that, that's a really important thing. Um, you started out with regional Mexican music. Um, what, what attracted you to that genre? And, um, and, and maybe if you can even give a little definition to what defines a genre as being regional Mexican. Yeah, definitely. So just to kind of like um, put some closure on what you had mentioned previously, um, yeah, without my transition, I, I definitely wouldn't have been um, 
uh, I would have never taken the step to become a, a recording artist and, and really go after that dream. So I would definitely say that being on HRT um, saved not only my life, but my dreams as well. Um, and, uh, you know, being a regional Mexican artist, um, it was always like a dream of mine, I guess. Uh, that's the genre that I would write my music in. So, you know, regional Mexican music can be anything from mariachi to banda or norteño, which are like the predominantly like popular ones in the um, in the genre, like Vicente Fernandez or, you know, some people know Jamie Rivera, which is the more banda aspect or, you know, an iconic group like Tigres del Norte. They are norteño. So, um these are the, the staple of like Mexican music. And, and this was the kind of music that I was writing when I first started doing my music. Um, you know, when I was a kid, my parents were very uh, big fans of music. They are to this day. And, and I think that's where my love for music kind of came from. Um, you know, we, music was always like a thing, like from sunrise to sundown, we would always be listening to music. My parents would always tell me like, sing me this song, sing me that song. We would go to like, Mexican restaurants and they usually have like live bands at Mexican restaurants that you can pay them to sing songs that you want to hear and um, I remember clearly my dad would pay them and I would sing and um, you know in Mexican music one of the biggest kinds of music that you can um, you know listen to or, or make are songs that are written for like Mexican drug lords you know so I clearly remember being like nine years old still identifying as a girl and like singing a song that's about a drug lord and people are looking at me like what in the world is going on here you know and my dad would be like you know going along with my singing and he's like you want to sing another one I'm like yeah dad I want to sing another one and here I am like singing back to back songs about drug lords at the age of nine so people would be like is that your kid and my dad be like yeah you got a problem, <laughs> you know, so it was just really, like, interesting to see how, you know, when it came down to the music, it didn't really matter, and and I think that's what I love so much about music, like, music is really, like, my heart, it's, it's the blood that runs through my veins, and I love the fact that music is just so universal, and, and it can, like, unify so many different people in, in different ways, and, you know, being nine years old, and having like these 30, 40 year old guys like jamming out to what I'm singing just because they like the song, they like the vibe. It was something that really stayed with me, you know? So when I started writing my own music, it it kind of like, those, those memories were always in the back of my mind, you know? So yeah, I always absolutely. wanted to, to put out my own music in that style and, and I finally did it when I began transitioning. So it was really cool. And uh, you actually talk about bravery, um, you were diving into a lot of musical milestones right when the pandemic hit. Um, how did that affect what you were doing? You know, the pandemic was a crazy time for everybody. I think that goes without saying, right? Like, we all went through it in our own, like, crazy way. And who would have thought, you know, like, we'd be able to say, like, I went through a pandemic, you know, super crazy. But, um you know, during that time of the pandemic, uh, you know, there was a lot of downtime. Uh, my work let a bunch of, bunch of people go and stuff. So I definitely had like a lot of downtime. And um, I was writing music and just kind of doing my thing. But, you know, the thing about re regional Mexican music is the fact that um, 
regional Mexican music is really driven by like a um, like masculine toxicity type of environment. Um, it's very like machista, so you have that macho mentality and and um, so it's, and it's, as far as the artists or what they put out, as far as the music content, but also the, the audience. The audience is still has that like that um, macho mentality like really embedded into them. So. You know, for me, I kind of felt like I was having such a really hard time, like, breaking through, um, you know, like, in these songs that I'm singing, like, they're super heartfelt. I have put in so much creativity into them, so much, like, um, you know, musical dedication to it. And, like, it was, like, heartbreaking for me because I kind of felt like I, I can see that I'm not being offered, like, an opportunity or even given a chance to like even listen to it just because like I am who I am and I'm not backing down from right. it because you know a lot of people told me like why don't you wait to transition until like you do your music and then kind of like once you are in somewhat of a position then you know you can make this change um publicly but I didn't want that I didn't want to I didn't want to lie to the people who were supporting me I didn't want to lie to the community I didn't want to have to hide me, you know, I didn't want to have to like pretend to be somebody that I wasn't just so that they would accept my work, my creativity. And that's something that I've always stood very firmly on. So I just said, uh, no, that's not going to happen. Like, this is who I am. This is what I can offer. Take it or leave it. So, um, you know, during the pandemic, I, I listened to a lot of like urban music. I've always listened to, to different types of, of music. And, um, you know, one day I just kind of got like, inspired and I was like, oh, like, I want to try like to write like an urban song and see how that goes. It's just something for fun. And I ended up really liking what came out. And, um, you know, I recorded this song. I got the beat made. I put it out. And it was like super crazy. Like my followers, my fans, like they liked it. Um, they were commenting on like my social media, like, wow, like this genre really fits you so well. Like, this is super cool. You should do more of this. When are you dropping another song? And, and I was like, wow, really? Like, (laughs) you're trying to tell me that this, this is what you guys wanted to hear from me. Oh my God. You know? Um, because the thing about like urban music is that it's a little bit less heartfelt than like Mexican music. Mexican music really like taps into like the emotions versus urban music. Right. It's all about the vibes, you know. So um, I was like, man, I'm only trying to be like super deep with you guys, and then you know, you guys just want the vibe. So I was like, all right, you know, um, let's go with it. So um, you know, that that year, I just kind of went from. Um, from Mexican to urban, like, it would felt like overnight, you know, but um, it was really cool. Um, I've enjoyed a lot making the, this new music, and it's something that I do like. Um, I haven't uh, stopped doing regional Mexican music entirely, so I just, like, you know, go back and forth. Like, I write one song, I write another song in, like, Mexican music or urban music, and so it's just kind of like a back and forth thing. I think that we're kind of like living in an era where, you know, you can do both things and, and it's not like a big deal, you know? Oh yeah. No. And I think they're, they're, it's showing the different um, levels and aspects of you. And uh, I think that's, I think that's a, a wonderful thing. And, and yeah, that, that would be great. And I'm also kind of glad that you did hold your integrity and, you know, in terms of not, 
going into music under a different identity and then trying to transition that we, we, our past recent shows, um, we've had different, um, transgender, um, people who have accomplished a lot in, in most of these cases in sports, but they did it the other way where they got a name and were having traction under their previous identity. And each one of them was, it really had crisis moments, you know, because of it. It wasn't, it wasn't something where no big deal. It, it actually was more problematic for them than the other way. And I think your, your emergence is, smooth and beautiful and um you know really really effective but speaking of your urban music and speaking of your creation we actually have one um all synced up and ready to go here it's your newest song esta noche uh do you mind if i go ahead and play that for our listeners no definitely please i'd be delighted okay well here we go is esta noche by gio bravo esta noche apenas está empezando y yo tengo ganas de estar contigo perreando toda la noche encendida mami tú siempre bebida dime lo que quieres baby que yo hago lo que sea por ti
There you go. That was Esta Noche by Gio Bravo. And if you were not up and dancing while you were listening to that, you are lying. Um, because I know I was. Um, Gio, what was the inspiration uh, behind that song? Uh, you know, this song, I just, uh, you know, I was like in a pandemic, wanting to go out kind of mode. And that was like not possible during, uh, you know, the pandemic, everything was closed and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to do something lively, something that kind of got everybody in a good mood. And it's kind of what came out. <laughs> Bring, if you can't go out to the party, you make the party. Uh, Definitely. So that's awesome. So is this, you're releasing this, uh, or you just released this, along with three other tracks. Um, tell us about those. Yeah, so um, I kind of made it like a, a goal this month to um, release a, uh, one new song a week for the month of August. And, um, you know, I worked on so much new music during the pandemic, and i just been sitting on it. So um, I really wanted to put it out there. I, I have a really great new publicist that I'm working with. And, and you know, just, uh, just really wanted to, you know, give my songs the best fighting chance to get out there. Of course, there's so many talented artists out there that, um, you know, want to share their work with the world. And, um, and you know, I, I, think, I think my music is, uh, no, I'm not going to say the best, but, you know, definitely has a fighting chance. It's, it's, uh, it's quality work. So, um, you know, I wanted to share it with my fans and, Everyone's really been liking the song, sending me videos, jamming to it, and, and it just feels really good, you know, because when, you, when you're creating something, there's always that, um, you know, that thought, like, in the back of your mind, like, will people like it, will people not like it? Um, you know, as an artist, you demand so much of yourself all the time, and, and to see that people have really, you know, taken to the tracks and they like them, uh, you know, it's a blessing. I, I feel really happy about it. And I'm um, just super excited that, uh, you know, we still have two more tracks coming out. One is coming out uh, tomorrow, actually. It's called Lo Que Ya Quiere. It's more of, like, a super, like, um, uh, party song, very kind of sexually driven, which is another thing, you know. Like, one, now that I'm in this point of my life and in my transition, I feel very comfortable, like, in my sexuality to make songs in reference to sexuality, so um, it just I just think it's like the perfect timing, you know, it comes in full circle. So uh, I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited, honestly. I'm really happy with where I'm at with my music right now. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's joyous. It is fun. It is celebratory, um, which, you know, reflects, I think, where you are um, in terms of, of yourself. Um, and that, that's super exciting. And it's, in, it's infectious. Um what you you came from a culture that um, being trans is not commonplace. Um, what would your message be to a young person right now who hasn't transitioned that is but dealing with that they are not their authentic self and 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 are in the Latino community? What 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 is your message of hope or vision for them? Uh, wow, you know, my, my message, uh, you know, first and foremost, and I love to highlight it is that, um, you know, as, as trans people, we got to be fighters, you know what I mean? And, and I'm really big on, um, you know, the whole like anti-suicide, um, kind of message because, um, 
you know, there's so much love to live out here. And, and, you know, even though we go through some like hard days, um, you know, no hard day is worth you giving up on yourself or, or your battle with life. You know, um, I think it's really important to find uh, community, to find people, friends, family, um, even new people. Sometimes you find more support in people you don't know than even people that, that you would have expected to have support in. Um, but just surround yourself with people who understand you, who who are open to to listening to you, to accepting who you are, and and you know once you do that, you kind of feel like in a in a little better place and a better headspace, and and follow your heart. You know, for me, making the decision to transition was something that even though I spoke to a lot of people and they, they told me about their journey, and people who were against it also told me what they thought, but ultimately it was my my decision, my choice. And um, it's the best thing I've ever done in my life for myself. Um, it has brought me um, so much joy. I feel it's, I can't even explain what I feel when I look in the mirror and I see, and I see Gio and I, and I don't see the person that I used to be. And, and it's, it's very fulfilling. And um, for people who, who have that desire, who have that, that feeling, um, that's what I would wish for them, for them to be able to experience that uh, one day, you know. But in order to do that, um, you got to love yourself, you got to be brave, and you got to just go with it and, and not really let other people break you down, you know. That's really important. Yeah, perfect. And, um, Gio, where can people get the get the new music and get your, your previous music? Um, yeah, so all my music uh, currently is on all um, digital platforms, um, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Pandora, um, all the platforms, you name them, we're on there. Um, you know, you find me as Gio Bravo uh, on the platforms as well as my Instagram. I'm always sharing links to the new to the new music, um, and I do invite everyone to come follow me. We've got some really cool stuff we're working on coming up. And and uh, you kind of led into my next question. What what is ahead for Gio Bravo? What what is uh, uh, what what should we look forward for for the next year and beyond? Uh, you know, so this year actually in October is my thirtieth birthday. So I am very much looking forward to launching, uh, releasing an album, which is kind of going to be like. It's going to be a super fun album packed with songs that are kind of like a reflection of just a lot of things that I've been to up to this 30th birthday. Um, fun songs, heartfelt songs. Uh, we're doing some collabs with some really great artists. Um, you know, we're going to be doing an event for the release. Um, I'd love for you to come and, you know, meet you in person, have a drink or two. Um, it's going to be great. Uh, we've got some music videos we're working on. Um, we're going to be... Uh, doing some performances as well, so um, very musically um, oriented agenda coming up for sure. Oh, that'd be awesome! That would absolutely be awesome. Um, are you are your projects all focused just musically, or I think at one point you were going to start a um, a platform of some sort, um, a social media platform? Is that right? Um, so I was actually, um, you know, I had kind of met somebody we were going to do kind of like, a, a label, um, per se, where we were going to work with like LGBT artists and, um, kind of amplify the music. But 
you know, sometimes, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes people <laughs> don't now. have, uh, yeah, you know, things happen, things happen. Let's go with that. Things happen and, and you know, sometimes people, uh, you know, even if you have a vision, my heart is always that, um, you know, elevating artists and, and elevating the community. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes um, people don't, that's not what they're after. You know, they're after different things. And right. and once those agendas don't align, then that's where things get a little bit difficult. But, um, you know, I am, uh, regardless of anything, you know, I strive to create um, a platform for my music. But I know that once I get there, it's going to facilitate my ability to create platforms for other artists. So, um, yes, I'm chasing my dreams for me, but I know that this is, like, bigger than me. I know that if I can make it, it's going to open up a Pandora box for the Latino artists who are part of the community. So um, this dream is very important to me on a lot of different levels. Perfect and excellent. And, yes, please, follow your vision. Um, you are a leader and you're outstanding. Um, such a talent Thank that you. also – your your vision and um, your heart um, kind of is out there as well, and it, it's incredibly inspiring. Um, so I want to thank you today for coming on, and um, but more importantly, I want to thank you for being who you are and what you are are accomplishing in the, the wonderful music that you're putting out. Um, but again, thank you for for being our guest today. Um, I want to thank Brody for his work. Um, not only um, in producing this show, but also as the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine. Um, and I want to thank our listeners. Um, you're important to us. Um, we have um, crossed over the 200,000 download wow. threshold. Um, so thank you guys for that. Keep downloading. Keep listening. Um, we, we do appreciate you very, very much. Um, we will be back again next week. We have a fantastic show lined up for you. I don't know what it is. Brody doesn't tell me until the very last minute. I don't know why. But um, I know that it will be absolutely spectacular. Um, in the meantime, um, go out to the platforms, um, find Gio Bravo, find Esta Noche and the other um, tunes that uh, he has released this month. Um, you won't be sorry, and you will be dancing. So for those of us at LGBT, Rated LGBT Radio, um, thank you, and we'll be back again next week. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 